welcome to Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here today. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. I want you to turn your Bibles today, if you have them with you, to John chapter 10, or you can go to our Version app. And you can click events, and then our, you'll have all the notes actually right there. If you enjoy taking notes, you can save it. It's very simple. We've been in a series called I Am, and we're in the third part of our series today. And we're really focusing on the I Am statements that Jesus made in the book of John. There's seven of them, and we'll be taking this all the way up through Easter. And I've been preparing more and more, and it's hard for me to not take what's in the future and bring it to today, but I'm going to do my best not to, uh, because there's so much. These are rich statements that Jesus made about himself. And it applies to us because it will help shape and reframe our lives in a way that is ultimately pleasing to him. And John had a purpose, and John had an agenda when he wrote the book of John. And he writes about different events and stories that point to different signs, and those signs are proof and evidence of who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Christ, the one they had all been waiting for. He says in John 20, verse 31, it says this, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. So that is the purpose of these statements that we, to, that we may believe, but that we may continue to believe in Jesus. So the first week we focused on Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. This past week, Pastor Lane did a phenomenal job in talking about I am the good shepherd. And today actually relates very closely to that. As a matter of fact, they're in the same passage, John 10. But I'm going to talk about Jesus saying, I am the door. I am the door. Now, doors serve many different purposes in life. They create boundaries. They create um, their entryways, but they're also exit points. Doors have a prominent space. You have, probably have many doors in your house. There's many doors in this auditorium. Doors are everywhere. There's a spiritual, physical component to doors, but there's also a spiritual component to doors. I don't know if you enjoy watching different, like, game shows. Uh, Family Feud is my favorite, uh, just because you get to watch and people are saying things at a, at a moment's notice, and you get to kind of see what's in their heart sometimes, and then sometimes they say the... The craziest things, I think I was watching one, it said, name a name that starts with the letter H. And someone hit it real fast and said, Jose. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, so basically they're fun to watch because it just comes down. He didn't think what he was saying. He thought he said the right answer, and he realized he was wrong. But one of my favorite shows, this was back in the day, there's a show that was started in the 60s called Let's Make a Deal. I don't know if anyone remembers that show, Let's Make a Deal. Okay, the, basically the audience or a group of traders, you can be picked out and they would give you something of value and you can make the decision to trade what you know you have for the potential of something greater. The only problem is that could actually, the thing you choose could be worth less than what you actually have. So you had a decision to make. And at the very end of it, they got to the big deal. And the big deal was behind three different doors or, the, or whatever they gave you. And the big deal had some, you can win a car, you can win a vacation, you can win some pretty incredible prizes, high-value high, high furniture, whatever it may be. But you had to make a choice to see which door you were going to go into or if you were simply going to keep 
what you have. And the door that you chose, you would have to receive the value of it. And I think that applies in many ways a lot to life. There are many doors that we can go into. Many of us choose to knock on the door of success because we think that's where we're going to find life. Many of us choose to knock on the door of relationships because that's where we think we may find life. We have a choice to knock on doors. Also, when it comes to doors having a spiritual component, many of us may have even prayed this or said this statement. When God closes one door, he opens another door. Right? You may have heard that statement. You may have said the statement yourself. You may, we, so we know about open doors and closed doors. There's times when we're praying for God to open a door and he ends up shutting it in our face and we get a little bit like, hey, I actually wanted that door to be open. So we understand that doors have a spiritual component. But some of us today, if we're honest, we may feel like we're stuck in a revolving door. We're stuck in some patterns and cycles that we can't break free from. And we're, we're stuck in different relationships that we know aren't healthy for us and we need to get out of. We may have an addiction that we're battling that no one may even know about. We may battle with anger. We may battle with pride, unforgiveness, offense, whatever it is. And we're stuck and we're not able to break free and walk out of the door and walk into the freedom that God has. Well, in John chapter 10, Jesus really makes a profound statement. And we're going to read verse 1 through 12. And he says this, most assuredly. And remember, when he's saying that, he's saying, I need you to listen closely. You may not believe what I'm about to tell you, but what I'm telling you is true. I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Yet yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Verse 6, Jesus used used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly I say to you, Because they didn't believe. So he's like, listen closely. I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. We've all heard this verse. I'm going to give some context to it in a second. I have come that they may have life, Jesus says, and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. So this is a powerful verse. Jesus is making a big statement in this moment, he's talking to the Pharisees and the people who are around him. But if you read through the scriptures, there's obviously John chapter 9 right before it. It wasn't written with these page breaks. Sometimes it says in the next day. But these breaks of chapters is not what's happening in this moment. So you almost have to go back to John chapter 9 to get context for this passage. And in John chapter 9, Jesus does an incredible miracle. There was a man who was born blind, and Jesus spit 
uh, into mud and make clay, awesome miracle, and rubbed it on his eyes and then sent him away and said, go wash and you'll be healed. So he goes and washes and he's healed. And everyone begins to question this man, like, is this a guy who was actually born blind? Is he now healed? He's like, yes, it's me. But no one believed him because they were like, this is impossible for this to happen. So he's like, they go to his parents and his parents says, this, this is our son, but they wouldn't actually admit whether he was blind or not because they feared the being kicked out of the synagogue but by the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day. So they're like, hey, he's of age. You just go talk about him. This isn't any of our business. So they come to him finally, and they, he's, they're like, tell, me, tell us the truth. I'm paraphrasing here. You can go back and read the whole entire thing. And he says, I don't know all about Jesus, but here's what I do know. I once was blind, but now I see. And sometimes it's just that simple. Those are the things that we need to know is that Jesus helps us see, and he gives us a way to move forward. But then at the end of that, because he claimed Jesus was the Christ, they actually kicked him out of the synagogue. So what's happening in that moment is there's a closed door. You get it? Then Jesus comes in John chapter 10 and says, I am the door. But here's the context. John chapter 9 verse 35, it says this, Jesus heard they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said to him, do you believe in the son of God? So here's what I love is that Jesus goes after those that religion would kick out. Jesus pursues this man, and it says when he found him, and just so you know, God finds us. We don't find him. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But then the Pharisees come up to him and say, in verse 39, Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world, that those who do not see may see, and that those who, may see, who see may be blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with them heard these words, and Jesus said to him, are we blind also? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no sin, but now you say we see, therefore your sin remains. So in a sense, because they say we already see, we, we actually can't come to Jesus in this moment, and then Jesus goes into John chapter 10. But there's three things that Jesus as the door does. There's a natural component, but also a spiritual component. And the first thing is this, the door protects. The door protects us. If you were at home or wherever you are, wherever you live, and your neighbors weren't home, you know who your neighbors are, and you saw someone come up to the door, they knocked on the door, they couldn't get in the door, they didn't have a key, and they went around to the side and climbed through a window, you would have a moment to think, that there's a few things that are happening. One, that person just really loses things all the time and they lost their key, which is a possibility. I've had some people do that and they have to climb in through the window. Or that person is a thief. Now there's a difference between a thief and a robber. A thief comes when no one is there. If someone is there, then that person actually becomes a robber. And Jesus is saying in this moment that the Pharisees are actually the ones who are the thief and the robber. And yes, I do believe they were operating in the spirit of the devil because ultimately they were trying to keep people out from coming into the kingdom of God. They actually believed that they were the door and they were kicking people out. And Jesus steps into this moment and says, that's not true. I am actually the door. But they had some bad principles that were the root of their bad practices. It's the same in our own lives. Principles will shape the way that we practice. If we believe something, 
then it will shape the way that we act. It will shape the things that we do in our lives. And because of the bad principles that they had, they felt like they needed to keep out and protect the people who were knocking on the door. But Jesus, all throughout Scripture, comes against the Pharisees in their, their heart. The Pharisees at that time would have actually been the conservative group of the day. So they weren't all bad. They, they knew the Scriptures. It was their application of the Scriptures that actually created burdens for people that closed the door rather than opening the door for them. And Jesus continually confronts them and corrects them because he's willing to confront and correct anything that would keep people out of the kingdom of God. And he says, he who doesn't enter by the door is a thief and a robber. This word thief means deception. There's a deceptive act that's happening, deceptive doctrine, deceptive teaching. But a robber implies violence and destruction. That's what's happening in that moment. And he's saying you're, you're deceiving people and it's violence and destruction that you're keeping them out of the kingdom of God. But because you are blind leaders, you are also bogus shepherds. And they weren't leading people towards God. And that is a legalistic, religious way of thinking. And the Bible goes to great lengths to warn us, warn us about false shepherds. Jeremiah 23, verse 1 through 4 says this, What sorrow awaits the leaders of my people, the shepherds of my sheep, for they have destroyed and scattered the very ones they were expected to care for, says the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to these shepherds. Instead of caring for my flock and leading them to safety, you have deserted them and driven them to destruction. Remember, a robber towards destruction. Now I will pour out my judgment on you for the evil you have done to them. But I will gather together the remnant of my flock from the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their own sheepfold, and they will be fruitful and increase in number. Then I will appoint responsible shepherds who will care for them, and they will never be afraid again. Not a single one of will be lost or missing. I, the Lord, have spoken. And then he it's important to catch this for a second. Because of the way the shepherds were acting, people are actually afraid. If you're afraid of the shepherd, you have a bad shepherd. God, yes, we're supposed to fear God, but that is the word honor and reverence, not to be terrified of him. The greatest commandment, as a matter of fact, is not fear the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. What is it? It's love the Lord your God. He said, Jesus has asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. We're not supposed to come to God out of fear. And if shepherds are invoking fear in the sheep, then they are a bad shepherd. They're a false shepherd and they do not have the heart of God. I'm reminded, I don't know if you ever watched The Office, Michael Scott, he was asked a question, do you want to be feared as a leader or loved as a leader? And his response was, I want them to fear how much they love me. <laughs> I don't know why that came to my head as I was thinking of this, but this is not how God works. He simply wants you to love him. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to know you. He does not want there to be fear in the relationship because fear brings torment. If you don't realize the love that God has for you, you will not come to him whenever you fall short and you will not come to him whenever you make a mistake. So if that's the weight that you're living under, 
you need to realize that's not a weight that God put on you. That's a weight that religion may have put on you. That, that's a weight that tradition may have put on you, but it's not a weight that God put on you. He's called for you to come to him and the relationship to be one of love. Ezekiel 34 verse 4 and 5 says this, and you have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. So my sheep, once again, have been scattered without a shepherd, and they are easy prey for any wild animal. So what's the mark of a false shepherd? The mark of a false shepherd is they scatter sheep. The mark of a true shepherd, the good shepherd, Jesus, is he gathers them together. That's the whole point of Luke 15. The one that is lost, he leaves the 99 to go after the one. And his, here's what he's saying in this moment. There's people that are wandering, there's sheep that are wandering, and you don't even care. Throughout the New Testament, you see whenever Jesus says his statement, it's like they were like sheep without a shepherd. Here's what it says. He felt compassion for them. That's the heart of the shepherd that we have. That's the heart of the door. But the hireling is one that's not willing to sacrifice for the sheep. They're only in it for what they can get, not for what they can give. They don't take care of the sheep. They don't protect the sheep. They don't heal the sheep. They don't serve the sheep, and they don't lay down their life for the sheep. That's what a false shepherd, that's what a hireling is. And they keep people from coming in to the door of the kingdom of God. But I love, because in Ezekiel 34, verse 23, it changes it around. It says, I will establish one shepherd over them, speaking of Jesus, and he shall feed them, my servant David. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. So Jesus is the door, but he's also the good shepherd who will feed us and take care of us if we're willing to come to him. So the first thing is the door protects. The second thing is the door provides. The door provides. Isaiah 53 verse 6, we talked about this in one second ago in communion. It says, all of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. So this, you've heard me say this, this Greek word for all means all. That's all of us like sheep have gone astray. And it's interesting to me that throughout the scriptures where people are likened to sheep. I went to the rodeo this past week for the first time ever. It was a blast. Uh, I had a great time. I realize now that I am older because I used to be able to eat as much fried food as I wanted, and I was great for the rest of the day. Now I ate like half of a funnel cake, and I was like, you know what? I think I'm done. So my body's changed a little bit. But we were able to go inside the rodeo, and really it was an incredible time. Uh, we got the chance to see bull riding, which is always entertaining for the five to eight seconds that it lasts, which is great. But there was one thing that was, I found interesting at the very end. If you've been to the rodeo, you know this. At the very end that day, they had kids riding sheep. First time I've ever seen this in my life, and I thought it was interesting. But here's what was interesting before that. They actually let two sheep out, led them to one spot, so that whenever the sheep came out, they would know where to go because sheep naturally herd together. And the kids would just hold on for dear life, and then they'd fall down, and they put the camera in their face, and they'd try to smile and keep themselves from crying. It was kind of funny yet sad. At the same time, I'm like, I don't know if I would ever let my kid do this. But 
People have, and that's great. But it was just interesting to me is they created a place for the sheep because they knew the sheep would go there. And here's why. Because sheep are prone to follow. That's what sheep do. Sheep are followers. They're not necessarily leaders. That's, our, that's also sometimes our nature. We need someone or something to follow because God knows our nature. He also knows our needs. Of all the domesticated animals, sheep are actually the most helpless. They, they have a productive side to them, but they're actually helpless. Instead of running or fighting predators, they actually huddle together when they get scared and are easily caught and are easily killed. This is the way sheep are. They have no homing instinct and are incapable of finding their own way to the sheepfold. So if they get out, they won't find their way back. As a matter of fact, they say many times they'll just simply graze and keep on going. They also sheep, if the lead sheep, because they're followers, steps off of a cliff, the others will actually follow, so they're not the smartest animals in the world. But I just laughed as I read that because I thought of the old adage where parents say, well, if your friend jumped off a bridge, would you jump too? Eh, Maybe. (laughs) Because by nature, sheep are followers. But here's the point of what the Bible is saying and what Jesus is saying in this moment, that sheep are always dependent on a shepherd. You just need to truly understand who your shepherd is. Because your shepherd may not be the good shepherd. The way that it worked is at night, the sheep would actually go into what's known as a sheepfold. There's a pen. There sometimes be walls on the side. Sometimes it was a cave, a shed. There are many different ways that they would set it up. But at the front of it, uh, it was actually open. It was an open entryway. And what would happen is that the shepherd or the doorkeeper, depending on if it was a personal one or if they actually went into a sheepfold with multiple uh, flocks of sheep in them, the door would actually be the shepherd. The shepherd would lay in front of the door of the entryway so that no one could get in without him knowing and the sheep couldn't get out without him knowing. This is the image that Jesus is portraying. He's saying... I am the door. The only way towards salvation is if you come through me. The only way to get in to the sheep pen to be a part of the flock is through me because Jesus is at the door of salvation. And he's literally the door for the sheep. But Jesus is good because he provides everything that we need. And I want to say this. Provision isn't what Jesus does or gives. Provision is who he is. So many times we think God will provide us all these different things as material things, but provision is who he is. He provided himself and made a way so that we could have eternal life. He knows that we have needs, yes, but ultimately our provision is found in him because of what we need. But it was interesting because even though there were multiple flocks of sheep in this sheep pen, the doorkeeper because he knew the shepherds would actually let them in and all the shepherd would have to do is give a very distinctive call and all of his sheep would come out and then they would go and he would lead them out and they would go to pasture and they would go and graze and go by the still waters, whatever it is, the shepherd would lead them out. So while sheep aren't brilliant in a lot of things, they're an expert at one thing. Sheep are an expert 
and knowing their shepherd's voice. Sheep are able to discern their shepherd's voice. We should be able to discern our shepherd's voice. Jesus, as a matter of fact, later on in John 10 says, my sheep hear my voice. They know my voice. I know them by name. There's a relationship. There's an intimacy that's there in our relationship with Jesus. So we have to capture this. And it says, the voice of a stranger, they will not follow. And this is key because there are many voices that we're listening to throughout our week, even if they're our own, that are stealing from us, that are killing us and that are destroying us. They're taking our peace. They're voices that we're listening to that are keeping us bound. They're keeping us anxious instead of listening to the voice of the shepherd because the voice you listen to will determine the pasture you go to. The voice you listen to on a consistent basis will determine if you have green pastures. Some of y'all have been going to the same place that's empty for a very long time. And it's not feeding you, it's not nourishing you, it's only leading you down a path of destruction and a path that lacks peace. And the good shepherd who's the door is calling you to come to him so that you can have life. During World War I, some soldiers tried to steal a flock of sheep in the Jerusalem area. So the shepherd woke up while they were driving the sheep away, and the shepherd wasn't going to be able to fight the soldiers, but all the shepherd had to do was give a distinctive call. And whenever he gave that call, his sheep all turned around, and the soldiers actually could not stop all the sheep from returning. I think that was so such a good picture of Jesus is that when he calls us, even when we begin to wander, even when we begin to stray, once we hear his voice, there's always a way back. And the enemy cannot stop you from worshiping him. He cannot stop you from serving him. He cannot stop you from giving your life to Jesus. We just simply have to listen to his voice because the door provides. And here's the third point. The door produces. The door produces. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, they will be saved. Here's what this tells me. Where you enter defines what you access. The door that you choose to enter into will define what you have access to. If you want life, you're going to have to go through the door that Jesus has. There's many, op- there's many options, many opportunities. There's many ways that we could go. There's many doors that we can open seeking and hoping to find life. But if we find, want life, there's actually only one way for us to go. This is how we get saved. Saved is the Greek word sozo, and here's what it means. It means to be made whole or rescued from destruction. It actually implies a person who has recovered from a severe illness, come through a bad storm, survived a war, or was acquitted at court. This is the language that that saved means, that you've been acquitted, that you've been made righteous, you've been made whole, you've been rescued and redeemed out of darkness into his marvelous light. But so many people would say, what have you been saved from? Well, Ephesians 2.1 says this, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. So we all were dead in our trespasses and our sins. And here's where Jesus came. He saved us. He came and saved us from the penalty of sin. If we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are no longer under the penalty of sin. We are being saved from the power of sin. We're renewing our minds. We're growing. The Holy Spirit is working in us to free us from the power of sin today. And one day, we will be saved from the presence 
of sin. Sin will no longer be present. We will be with him and sin will be gone. But we didn't have a problem of being bad or good. We had a problem of being dead. And it's a very cruel gesture that religion gives us to say to a dead person, try harder. Do more. You're not enough. Keep going. Do more good works. And some of us have been stuck in this cycle even after we're saved. Because the kingdom of God is not about rituals, it's about righteousness. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The rituals aren't what saves us. The Holy Spirit is the one who does his work in our hearts and in our lives, and that's what makes us whole. It's his work in us and through us. We just simply have to say, God, I want you to work in my life. I want you to work in my heart. It's not that we don't do good works. It's what is the basis of our works. Is it through faith? Or is it because of our own ability, because we're trying to please him? Because Jesus didn't come to just preserve life. He actually came to impart life. This is what he did. He made us a new creation. The old has passed away. All has become new. So we can't walk into the new with the old way of thinking. This is why we have to renew our minds so that we can be made whole in him. The abundant life that he promises, it means surplus. That's, that's literally what it means. It's, there's a surplus of life that he wants to give you. Yes, he gives you eternal life, but he wants to give you abundant life right now. And it's a life of contentment in Jesus Christ. That's what he desires for every single one of us to be able to walk into. But it's important that we understand where righteousness comes from. Because if we don't understand this, then we'll try to bear the burden that we were never meant to carry. Because we don't produce righteousness, we receive it. The word there throughout the scriptures you'll see is imputed righteousness. It's righteousness that's simply received and given by God. Not because of your own goodness, not because of what you have done, but because what Jesus has done for us. And we simply repent and receive what he has. And this is important. Because God is interceding for us. It actually says Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us right now, standing in the gap. Romans 8:34. Who is he who condemns? Is it Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us? See, Jesus is our high priest. In the Old Testament, there's a tabernacle and there's the temple. And there was a veil that was blocking them from going into the presence of God only one time a year because the high priest go into the presence of God. And the, the temple and the tabernacle was, were symbols. They were shadows and types of whom Jesus was the substance of. So the incarnation of Jesus represented the veil. We could not go in. He was a door. I know we don't think of the veil as a door, but it was a door that kept people from going in. They could not see. They could not get into the very presence of God. But whenever Jesus died, what happened to the veil? The veil was actually torn in two from top to bottom. It wasn't done by man, it was done by God. It represented Jesus' body that was dying on the cross. He was the veil, and whenever he died and was resurrected, we now have life in him, and we have access to God. Now, Jesus, the door, produces access. We have access in the presence of God, and we can come boldly by grace through faith into his presence. And this is great news for every single one of us because his death actually opened up a new way of life and living for every single one of us if we would just receive 
what he has for us and enter the door. First John 2, 1 says this, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. See, Jesus is still active on your behalf right now. You have an intercessor. You have someone that you can go and take your case to before the father. And here's what I love about fathers. If you want to get the father's attention, talk to his kid. Kids can get their father's attention. Jesus is the son of God. We are sons and daughters of the most high God. We can get his attention. This word advocate, it actually conveys the idea of a defense lawyer who goes to the judge to try to get a favorable ruling. So whenever it's saying that Jesus is our advocate, it's saying that he goes before the father, that he's the one who makes a way for us. And as Satan accuses us and tries to put guilt and shame on us, the advocate steps in and says, yes, but I paid for that. See, I paid for the shame. I paid for the sin. I paid for the brokenness. I paid so that they could have hope. I paid so that they could have life. Yes, they may have been guilty, but because they believe in me, they can now experience the new life that only I can give. And where they may have been condemned before, because I'm the advocate, they can now have favor. This is a God that we serve, and this is what he produces in our hearts and in our lives. I don't know if any of you have ever been to an escape room before. Uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth, I'd been to several, and it was supposed to be like a team building time, but I actually felt like it was a team exposing time. It exposed the people who didn't necessarily love competition. I'm, I'm a competitive person, and I got some people on my team that didn't want to necessarily keep up with the pace, and they weren't carrying their weight. So I felt like it exposed that, but they would set you up, if you've never been, they would set you up in a room, and there's a certain amount of time that you have to escape the prison, whatever they put you in. Where I went, there was a, as a prison, we had to go through the code, we had to figure out all, all these riddles, all these different things in order to finally get out. My team won, just in case you're asking. <laughs> but here's what I thought, because at the end of the door that you typically go through, that you exit to the outside. But if you don't figure it out, you actually don't get to walk through the door. And many of us have been struggling, we've been fighting, we think there's a formula. We think there's something that we can do to ultimately get to the door. But all Jesus actually says is to knock and the door shall be opened. We don't have to open the door on our own. We simply have to come in faith. And Jesus, the door, will produce and open and make a way for every single one of us. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. At the end of every service, we ask this question, what is the Holy Spirit saying to me through this message? See, Jesus is our door. It's through him that we have the entryway to life. Some of us today, we may be listening to the wrong voices that are producing shame, that are producing guilt. And God's calling you today to listen to the voice of the shepherd. If you just have that, you'll have what you need to be able to move forward and take the next step. But at the end of every service, we want to have an opportunity for us to respond. 
And in a moment here, I'm about to pray, and we're going to go into one more song. And during that last song, we'll have a team up front that would love to have the opportunity to pray with you. You don't have to be a member of Gateway Church to come down to receive prayer. And you shouldn't ever be embarrassed to receive prayer. I received prayer even before we came out here. So if you need prayer for anything at all, not even if it just pertains to the message, but some of you need to enter through the door for the first time. Some of you may have wandered away and God's calling you back and you need to know that there is nothing that can keep you from the shepherd. You simply have to follow his voice. So Father, right now, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you are the door. That because of what you have done, we can have life. That we're made righteous, that we're made whole, that you saved us. So for those that need to say, God, I'm, I'm coming back to you. I'm coming to you for the first time, Lord. Touch their hearts. As they knock by faith, as they come to you by faith, we know that you will open the door. For those of us that are in that place where we're trying to work things out on our own, I pray that you would just give us a sense of peace. What the enemy has come and stolen, what the enemy has come and tried to destroy in their lives, Lord, I pray that you would restore it many times over. I pray right now, Lord, that you would speak to us so clearly and that we would hear your voice and that we would not follow the voice of a stranger. Overwhelm us with your richest blessings. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Thanks for joining us today. If you live in the Houston area or are in town for a visit, we would like to invite you to join us for a service. For service times and location, or more information about Gateway Church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Have a blessed week.